BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome in to the latest episode of that. SEC Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And hey, flying without Cousin Shane on this episode. Shane's had a little family situation come up. Big Tennessee Homer is good. Just getting that out there. No need to to worry about him. But he will be back hopefully soon. Just not available to be on this episode. So instead of going solo, I know those are never as popular, Reached out to our good buddy Trey Wallace, SEC insider for OutKick. Talk about a number of these SEC matchups. Really good conversation. Trey's got his ear to the ground better than just about anybody in the SEC landscape. We'll kick it over to that interview in just a second. We're going to start with the interview this time around. We got a number of news and notes around the SEC. But I do want to make a note of something. Total omission on my part. When we had Stephen Lassen on the show, didn't even touch on Missouri-Auburn. That's on me. That's not on Stephen. Completely omitted that game simply by mistake. And I've reached out to Stephen. I'm going to try to get him back on the show to share his thoughts on Missouri-Auburn before we preview and, and make our picks by the end of the week. And maybe even get Stephen to make an official prediction on that show since it's later in the week. But just wanted to make note of that. I didn't want Missouri and Auburn fans to to think we're omitting that game. And just for that issue, that's the first thing we talked about with Trey Wallace, outkick.com. Let's kick it over to this really great interview. Hey, we're pleased to once again be joined by the man Trey Wallace. You know him, SEC insider for Outkick. Trey, thanks for joining me again. I really appreciate you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, happy to be back on. Lots of things have happened in the conference since we last uh, <laughs> spoke. And uh, yeah, getting ready for another crazy weekend in the Eastern and the Western divisions. And you were on the road, on the plains last weekend covering that massacre down there. You know, we don't, we don't have to rehash the game too much. I don't think there's a there's a damn Auburn fan on here that, that wants to hear a breakdown of that game. But Credit, uh, from what I could tell, you could tell me a lot better. The the environment, the scene, I mean, it looked like the fans, they showed up ready for that ball game, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, it was fun. And and I got into town Thursday night, and, you know, there are a lot of Penn State people already in town, um, which didn't surprise me, to be honest with you. Um, But but strolling around campus on Friday, a lot of white, uh, a lot of Penn State jerseys and whatnot, and you know, Auburn fans did a really good job of welcoming them uh, to town. I thought that uh, the place was hopping. I mean, they, you know, before the game, and um, it's good that you know it was like a two thirty game, so it gave time people time to tailgate and whatnot, and, and kind of ramp up the atmosphere. But I, I give credit to both sides. Auburn fans they brought it with the orange out. I thought Penn State fans were. I mean, there had to be. 
I would I would guesstimate probably eight to nine thousand Penn State fans there. Um, so credit to them. And 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 speaking with a lot of them, they got to enjoy that that Southern hospitality, and 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 they had a good time. And it was fun, and and they weren't. You know, and, I, mean, I think I was leaving the stadium like two hours after the game or whatnot. They were all still having a good time, but you know, they weren't shoving it down Auburn's throat. You know, I, you know, that was the one thing that I did notice. I was like, okay, there's not a lot of trash talking going on. Um, but I mean, you know, um, I think that that overall, um, we we found out who the better team was, and we found out that Auburn's got a lot of work to do. Yeah, in a very important game for both these teams, really. Missouri on the road at Auburn. You just wrote about it for OutKick, and I hadn't thought about it, but it's perfect. Drink, I mean, he, he put the dagger in Dan Mullen. He may be able to do that this weekend. Brian Harson, uh, what's your thoughts on those narratives going into the game? Yeah, I, you know, I was sitting around this past weekend, and I was like, you know what, wait a minute. They play – Auburn plays Missouri next Saturday, and I was like, okay, the, the, the seat's hot for Harson. And I got to, you know, we all remember what happened in Columbia, Missouri last year when Dan Mullen lost there. He, he's fired uh, pretty much right after uh, once they get back to Gainesville. And, you know, so I, I, I wrote about that, and, and I thought it was very interesting that, that Eli Drinkwitz, you know, and, and this is not something he wants to do. He has a very good relationship with Brian Harson. Brian Harson hired him at two different spots. Um, but the outlier talk of this game is if Auburn drops it, do they decide to to potentially move on from Brian Harson? Um, they're coming up on a bye week. Um, it's in two weeks, week and a half, whatnot. So you're getting to that point where if you're going to make a change at a position, you do it during the bye week. Now, the biggest problem out of all of this is the fact that they don't have a sitting AD. They have an interim AD. They don't have a sitting AD. And I think fans down there in Auburn right now, to be honest with you, they're fed up with how the situation has played out, how the team has looked, and what team showed up on Saturday, Michael. You know, and it's it's so fascinating, too, because I think Missouri fans are, I don't want to say they're fed up, but they're frustrated right now, particularly after losing in the fashion they did to Kansas State. What's your thoughts on that? I mean, I think it's I think it's crazy to say that Drake, you know, may not be the guy. I don't, I don't know if he will be or not, but I think it's way too early to make that call. And I think if he wins on Saturday against a, a hurt Auburn team, a letdown Auburn team, this is a real opportunity for Missouri, his Missouri program, to gain some momentum because that's what he's done the whole time he's he's been there. He's he's pulled off some some wins that a lot of people didn't see coming. Yeah, and I think I think Saturday, you know, they're they're sitting at a minus seven point underdog right now. But but I I still think this is the type of game where, you know, Missouri can catch somebody off guard. Look, it's going to be an eleven o'clock kickoff in Auburn, and they're coming off a weekend where everybody was in town. It was a it was a it was a Mardi Gras like atmosphere party wise, and then you got to get up for that morning game. You know, the crowd's not going to really be into it. Um, you know, we'll see what happens. You know, student section shows up, whatnot, whatever. But it's more about the players. You know, can they put last weekend behind them and focus on a Missouri team that a lot of people are saying, okay, you should go beat Missouri. Now, you know, the, the Penn State game, that was kind of up in there, but you should go beat Missouri. And Missouri's coming in there. You have to remember, too, Missouri has a bunch of former Auburn staffers 
um, inside that building, a, a, a bunch. And this game is, to me, it, it, it feels kind of personal. Um, so it's crazy to think one of the outlier games this weekend is Missouri-Auburn. But if you really break it down, it has so many ramifications as to what could happen you know, in the conference, and especially with Auburn, especially what they do with the coaching, you know, job right now. I, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't know if, you know, they would absolutely fire Brian Harson on Sunday morning that they dropped that game in Missouri, but I promise you the boosters are unhappy enough right now that, that they'd be willing to fork over the money. Um, they're going to have to fork over buyout money at the end of the season anyways. Um, so in my opinion, and, and we've seen, and, and this is the thing too, we've seen examples of this in the past. So it's nothing new. USC did it. Um, we, we've seen Nebraska do it now. We've seen Arizona State do it. Um, this is, this is not uncommon. The biggest denominator in all of this is the fact, you know, does Auburn president Christopher Roberts make a move without a permanent AD in place? Because you know that AD would want to hire the next head coach. So, you know, it, it, it's going to be interesting to me. I, I do think, though, you lose that game to Missouri if Auburn does on Saturday. Man, the, the message boards and the people of influence down there, it's going to be a living hell for, for Brian Harson more than it is right now. And, and that's why Saturday is so important for me, for them. Well, let me ask you this, Trey. I mean, it with all these interims, no AD and everything, if a change is made, who's who's making the call? Who's hiring the next coach? Is it these boosters? I mean, it's it, it seems like such a weird situation down there. And and is this attractive an attractive job given the meddling that this this is not one coach, this is several coaches. I mean, it, it almost feels like you know, I know this has been said time and time again, Hugh Freeze, but it, it's almost like you'd have to hire someone like Hugh Freeze who's who has a questionable background, but you'd have to take a almost like a leap of faith to get a, a really good coach to come down to Auburn. What's your thoughts on that? Two things. To me, you can either hire that, go, go find that splash hire that's going to come in there and fix recruiting in a heartbeat, going to land you a couple, four stars, maybe a five star, try to fix recruiting, you know, in one season. Uh, but you're going to take, you're pretty much taking a flyer off. You don't know what that is. Or you go and try to, and I'm just going to throw out names. I'm not saying they're connected to Auburn, but you go out and try to hire like a Pat Narduzzi type coach or, a, I don't know, a, a Paul Christ or something like that at Wisconsin or somebody just, somebody that's going to, it's going to take a minute, but you know that they'll have a very good opportunity at rebuilding the program as a whole. So there, you know, there, there's two ways you can go with it. It's the Flashire, like you said, with Hugh. Um, I don't think Lane Kiffin would leave Ole Miss to go to Auburn. That doesn't feel like the right type of move. Um, or you go get a coach that you know is going to take a minute, but he's going to turn the program around, you know, down the road, or at least have you uh, viable compared to where you are now. And, and I think the biggest problem, you know, I think the biggest problem with Brian Parson is, to be honest with you, and he's a really nice guy, but he's out of his element uh, in Auburn. And I think his coaching staff, uh, a lot of them are not the you know the Cadillac Williams and whatnot. But I think the, I think you know the rest of his staff, recruiting wise, you can tell. Yeah, you know, we you know we we can always tell. We talk to people, you know this, Michael. We talk to people, and we can 
hear what's going on in the recruiting trail or inside of a building. And, and, and I think right now um, it's a little unease because of what's going on with the athletic administration, the athletic director. But I think overall it's, it's that these guys at the moment, you know, you can't rely on like Will Friend, you know, or Jimmy Brumbaugh or whatnot or however, you know, whoever it was to, to help you with the recruiting when you've got the rest of the staff that's not producing in the area. So they've got a lot to discuss. I think that boosters are always going to have a voice in this because they're going to be the ones that the university quietly goes to and asks for the money. You're going to be like, okay, you want this guy gone? Write the check. And I think after last season, well, let me rephrase that. After the offseason inquiry into Auburn, looking back on it now, brother, I, I feel like they should have just cut in ties, cut ties right then and wrote the check. And and you wouldn't be at this point where we're talking three games into the season if Harrison's going to make it the rest of the way. We knew this was coming. This was nothing new. Like, we knew back in April – that we would be probably having a conversation by the end of September, early October, if Brian Harson was going to be the head coach in Auburn. Look where we're at right now. So, you know, it shouldn't be a surprise to some folks as they make it out to me. Right. I mean, it feels like a house of cards. First loss, I know it was a bad loss, but then it's just, this guy's done. We got to get rid of him, move on. I mean, they're, they're talking But it's like, also, you know, it's also, that, it's also the way they played against like San Jose State. Yeah. You know, they, they didn't play well. You know what I mean? And, and I think that... I just you ask, it's kind of like you asked for it, Auburn administration. <laughs> this is what you're getting. And the bad thing about it for Brian Harson is he doesn't have Alan Green there anymore. Right. That's what hurts him the most. Um, so who knows, man? Saturday is a very big game, but for different reasons on the planes. I'll be interested in that one. We're doing a, a complete 180 where it's not doom and gloom, it's it's sunshine pumping there on Rocky Top. Man, just Quickly, what thoughts on just the turnaround? I mean, this is, you got to remember, what was it, like 18 months ago, Tennessee, five-year bowl ban, you know, they're going to be just destroyed by sanctions. Who in the hell are they going to get to take over this mess over here? And, I mean, literally no one's talking about that. This is this is a number 11 team in the country. You got a Heisman candidate, a quarterback, one of the most fun programs in college football right now. I don't think Josh Heupel's getting enough credit for this Immediately turnaround here at Tennessee. What's your thoughts? 16 games it's taken Josh Heifel to turn Tennessee into a, a top 15 program. Um, that That's astonishing to me. I, I wrote about it earlier this morning and, um, you know, earlier today. And, and, and I was talking about, you know, how it's that beat Florida mantra around Knoxville. It reminded me, I was, I was watching the show with a girlfriend, Friday Night Lights, and I remember that those opening scenes where they would come up and they'd be like, get you one of these rings, you know, uh, win state, win state. And, and, and having a conversation with somebody else about it, they were like, well, that sounds familiar. Sounds like what's going on in Knoxville. Beat Florida. Beat Florida. And, and, and I, I felt compelled to write about it. But, but it also, that's what's going on around here. Like you, you have got, you know, me living in Knoxville, I hear a lot of different things. I talk to a lot of different people and uh, you go out to a coffee shop and, you know, somebody notices you or wants you to have a conversation, you know, about about Tennessee football. And, and and what I get back from folks is, man, they're energized. They're excited to be in this position. Um, look at last weekend. Um, I, I saw pictures from from 
colleagues uh, that were sending me. And it, it was a good 95,000 people in there for an Akron game. I mean, it, it just goes to show you, you know, that's for a night game too. So it's not like people can turn around and drive back home if they want to. Like they're having to spend money to stay in a hotel overnight. So what I'm getting at is that, you know, he is Josh Heifel, Danny White. They've done a really – and everybody involved in that football program has done a fantastic job of getting people – back involved in Tennessee football, getting them, getting them excited, giving them something um, to, to, to not debate about, but to actually get behind. And I think that's the biggest thing. You look at where Tennessee's at right now, and, and they go on the road to Pittsburgh. They grab that win. They didn't play as well as they, they should have, but they still got that win. Last year's team would have lost that game um, towards the end of the, the beginning of the season. But overall, as a program, it's starting to feel like that things are stabilizing. And once you get things stabilizing, that means you can take it to the next level, which means you can start maybe exceeding expectations. You know, Tennessee being 11th in the country right now, they got to prove that on Saturday to me against Florida because Florida is a team Tennessee should beat. If they're not, if, if the Gators aren't going to have Vendrell Miller, um, if, if you know Tennessee's defense is going to scheme the same way that uh, South Florida did, the same way that Kentucky did, which is make Anthony Richardson pass the football. Um, and, and, and I just look at it overall as a program right now. Just think about it this way. In one weekend, you're going to have CBS in town. You're going to have ESPN in town. You're going to have people like Barstool Sports, Fox Sports in town. Like the, the the epicenter of college football is in Knoxville, Tennessee. And whether people like that or not, okay, that's fine. But I look at it as, okay, this is a testament to what they're doing, but this is also a test. Let's see if Tennessee actually is making the progress. Let's see if Tennessee can actually get over the hump. That's what I think Florida, um, it, it, it's like a, they're dangling cheese out there to see, to see if Tennessee's actually going to take it. And right. if they do, Michael, we'll start having that conversation about Tennessee as a top 10 team, going to LSU, hosting Alabama and whatnot. But until they beat Florida, brother, you know, it's hard to pick Tennessee to beat Florida when they haven't done it, you know, in 16 of the last 17 years. It's crazy. Right, right. You know, this is not new territory by any means for Tennessee. I mean, this was, uh, you know, obviously hype under Butch. There was, there was, believe it or not, people for Tennessee fans don't forget, but there was even hype up Derek Dooley and, and and Pruitt going into these Florida games, but they failed the test. But it just, it just feels different with Josh Heupel. Uh, I don't know if, if that's the same for you, but I mean, we got Heupel here kind of loose cutting jokes during his press conference during during florida week and to the rest of the sec that may not sound impressive but you know a lot of these tennessee coaches get tight in this type of ball game and that pit game i think is a perfect example like you said in other years tennessee loses that game three consecutive turnovers uh, i point to overtime hennon hooker scores a, a touchdown flag they got to call it back they don't flinch they score it right away Pitt gets the ball, fourth and 10, they convert. They don't flinch. Another fourth and 10, they, they shut them down. This just feels like a different era of Tennessee football. And are, are you yeah. sensing that? Are you feeling it? Do you believe that? 
No, I, I do. I think that Tennessee is finally hitting a different mark within their football program and what they're trying to do. I mean, you just take a look. Look at the excitement and, and look at social media. And, and by the way, social media is a very, very small barometer of where fan bases are at. Okay. But I will say the fact that you've got the school buying into certain things that the fans want to do, you know, like the checker kneeling thing, which they've done in the past, it's pretty darn cool to look at. I don't care what team you root for. It's pretty neat. You're going to see a, a rabid fan base on Saturday that is foaming at the mouth for a win against Florida. Um, and you've got a team that should beat Florida by 10 points. That should, you know, that should not have what's about the jitters, I guess, going into this game. Um, I, I feel like you've got a veteran in Hendon Hooker. We'll see what the status of Cedric Tillman is. It might be tough for him to go, but they've got other playmakers if he can. Um, I think that overall, looking at where this program is right now heading into this week, I just think the reaction and what you're going to see Saturday is going to prove the point, you know, and, and, and my biggest thing is, you know, I said the Pittsburgh game was the biggest game of the season for Tennessee because I thought they needed to get over Pittsburgh and set up the rest of the season. They had dropped that game with the excitement level be where it's at right now for Florida. Absolutely not. Um, but, but now you look at it, um, probably 150,000 people on campus on Saturday. Only a hundred of them, one thousand are getting in that game. Um, and 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 you you look at Josh Heupel, and you kind of made a point to it, joking around and whatnot. I don't know if it's because a lot of his staff is not Tennessee bred, uh, and I mean that in a sense of hasn't been around, you know, for twenty years, twenty five years in the SEC. He's got a couple, you know. Willie Martinez, Rodney Garner, they understand the rivalry. You know what I mean? They get it. Um, but Josh Heifel is learning it by mouth, learning it from other people. You know, I, mean, I, I don't think Josh Heifel is sitting up on a Wednesday night watching YouTube of Tennessee running out of the tee against Oklahoma in 2015 or Tennessee running out of the tee against Florida in 2016. So I, I think that it's good that he's trying, I guess, learn on the job and, and, and experiencing this as it happens. Like he's starting to, a, I'm not saying starting now, but he's getting able, he's able to appreciate everything about Tennessee as it goes. And I think that's one of the big things about Josh Heifel and how he can be laser focused on what's ahead of him with Florida. And uh, it, it's it's going to take a, a, a full team effort. And like I wrote about, you know, uh, today, uh, it, it, you've got players on this roster. The last time they beat Florida, you know, they weren't old enough to go to senior prom. So, you know, really, they're not as involved in this. They look at it because the fans are excited about it. I mean, to them, it's another football game. Now, to some of them that are from this state and from the area, Okay, it probably you know gets the juices boiling a little bit more, but overall, this is just a big time football game that they've got to focus on and go out and win. Now, what about this Arkansas Texas A and M showdown, Trey? I mean, it, this, this may be the the best Arkansas Texas A and M showdown 
in the history. Um, a, a lot on the line, a, t- a top 10 Arkansas here, A&M, they got top 10 talent. How surprised were you, though, that uh, A&M opened as the, as the betting favorite? I'm, I'm seeing these analytical odds. You know, A&M projected to win this ball game by, by a lot of metrics. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? I was shocked. I was wondering what, what the hell offense were these Vegas people, <laughs> insiders? <laughs> what were they watching? Uh, what were they watching against Miami? What were they watching against Appalachian State? I mean, you know, is there somebody on the Texas A&M defense right now that they think is going to bring down K.J. Jefferson if he wants to run and scramble outside the pocket? Like, it's going to be a two-man effort. Um, I – I don't know if that line is for Jimbo Fisher over Sam Pittman compared to maybe the teams that are in the game. Um, To me, I feel like Rock Sanders at running back for Arkansas, K.J. Jefferson, what they're getting out of the offensive line. And look, I know the game against Missouri State was close, but I don't put much stock into that one because Arkansas has proven to me uh, that they can go out and 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 perform well enough, or, or they've got a good enough offense. I, I think a little bit of them was looking ahead, to be honest with you. Um, you know, uh, it, it's hard for me to say the same thing about Texas A&M because Texas A&M doesn't look like a complete football team. Look like they're struggling for an identity on offense with Max Johnson or Haynes King. I don't care who you throw out there at quarterback. Um, you know what is Devin? do at running back Asian what does he do at running back you know how are they able to establish something against bumper pool and that Barry Odom you know led defense against Arkansas and and so that's why the line was a little shocking to me honestly I thought it would be like Arkansas minus three compared to Texas A&M but but looking at it as a whole I'm going to need to see something more out of Texas A&M when it comes to offensive football man what they did against Miami didn't prove anything to me. Miami is not that good this year, okay? But, but the fact that you were only able to put up 17 points against Miami, there's still something wrong here. Um, but I do think this is such a big, big game. Two reasons. I think it's a big game just because of Arkansas, Texas name, period, where they're ranked at, you know, what's at line, what's at stake in the Western Division. But for Texas A&M, this is the way you turn around your season. After that loss to App State, you got everybody making fun of you. From the, the, the night before, the yell, midnight yell, which deservedly so, that was cringeworthy. Nothing against Texas A&M fans, but that one line from that guy was very cringeworthy. Um, but then you come out and you play Miami at home, and now you got to go on the road, go to Arlington, you know, neutral site. I, I just feel like this is a game that Texas A&M could turn it around. Um, but if they lose, things get things get tough for Texas A&M because of what they're lacking on offense right now. And that's what worries me about them. I don't want to call Jimbo Fisher fool's goal right now, but his offense, they haven't been playing up to the standard of a top-10 football team or anybody that's going to make a run towards Atlanta. Hmm. If you're a South Carolina fan, Trey, are you hitting the panic button after losing two games or is it just a case of – Hell, you just went up against the, the best team in the country and then you, you lost to Arkansas on the road, which is a top-10 team. I think that losing to Arkansas 
Uh, it was tough. They had a couple of injuries. I'm not saying the injuries is why they lost. The offense didn't play well. Spencer Rattler didn't play well um, at, at Arkansas. You're going to come home and, man, you're going to take your beating against Georgia. Now, that's not the only team Georgia is going to beat up like that on the road, okay? And you got a South Carolina program under Shane Beamer. He, he, he's still building his program, man. He's trying to establish a culture there. He's trying you – know, you, you've got – a quarterback right now that has all the talent in the world, but trusting his receivers, trusting the playmakers, trusting his own arm to be able to throw it down the field. I, I you know, in his instincts, I think, you know, to me, something that, you know, thank goodness they have a game against Charlotte this weekend to maybe get back on track type of deal. Um, I wouldn't push the panic button on Shane Beamer. I, th- I think, I know a lot of people don't like his antics on the sidelines sometimes. Um, they say he gets overly excited. Man, you're coaching 118 to 21-year-olds, and they're making plays out there on the field. If a coach wants to get excited, what the hell's wrong with that? There's, no, there's nothing wrong with Shane Beamer showing some joy after a play. Um, just like there's nothing wrong with him you know, yelling at event management staff to get 100 people off the field on a fourth down play this past weekend, which got totally overblown, totally overblown. So I, I look at it overall, and I, I think that the, the we're, we're still waiting to see what South Carolina is actually going to be. But I will say this. If they can beat Florida and Auburn last year, playing four different quarterbacks in the season – I trust what Shane Beamer is trying to do. And and I think that they, you know, give him more time, see what he can do. There's wins on the schedule. Um, and, 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 you know, don't freak out. A bunch of people are going to lose to Arkansas and Georgia this year. They're not in that landscape yet. One day, maybe they will be in the landscape of Arkansas. But as of right now, you know, they're, they're not sure of that. And that's okay. You don't have to freak out about it. Now, last thing, Trey, I'll get you out of here on this. Ole Miss, I mean, just wrecked Georgia Tech. Um, are they the the best team in the country that nobody's talking about? I mean, I mean, they're doing this, and they're still kind of a work in progress at quarterback. If they get that solved, if Jackson Dart, they can eliminate the turnovers, can Ole Miss truly contend, possibly even for that West title? They they host Alabama. What's your thoughts on Ole Miss? They're going to have to prove it to me next weekend. Um, I, I think Jackson Dart can be a, a good quarterback. Um, but you're seeing how much they're relying on Zach Evans in the running game. Um, I think they're trying to get – Kiffin's trying to get Jackson Dark comfortable in the pocket. I think that's the biggest thing that I've noticed. And go, I mean, go look at his attempts this past weekend. Um, they're, they're spacing them out is probably the best way to put it. Um, so I, I think Ole Miss is – I think they're a good football team. But that test comes – next weekend in Oxford when Kentucky comes to town. And uh, you, you we, we get to see what the Ole Miss defense looks like, trying to contain Will Levis and, by the way, a returning Chris Rodriguez. So there, there's your matchup. There's where I'm going to say, okay, Ole Miss is good enough to, to make some type of run in the SEC West this year. We'll see what happens. Because, you know, Georgia Tech wasn't a test for them. That test comes, you know, 
uh, next weekend. So I'm holding back a little bit on Ole Miss. I think they have talent uh, at certain spots. They had the playmakers. They got a good rushing attack. But let's see what they do against Mark Stoops and that defense uh, next weekend. If they win that one, we'll start talking about, in my opinion, we'll start talking about them maybe doing some noise in the SEC West. All right, Trey Wallace, cannot thank you enough. Some really outstanding stuff, as always. Before you go, tell the audience where to find all your great work. Yeah, absolutely. You can uh, follow me on Twitter at Trey Wallace underscore. Uh, follow all my work at outkick.com, posting everything to, to my own personal feed along with the company site. And, um, man, just, just loving life, enjoying SEC football, college football <laughs> as a whole. Um, got a fun game coming up in Knoxville this weekend. Uh, so, yeah, follow all my work there. And uh, as always, I appreciate you having me on, brother, and I can't wait to do this again. All right, I hope everybody appreciated Trey joining the show once again. One of the best out there, not a doubt in my mind. And he's all over the SEC footprint. He's going to be at the big game this weekend. Of course, was at Auburn last weekend, talked at length there about it. So, you know, give him a follow if you're not already. He does a hell of a job there for OutKick. The podcast is brought to you by Fubo TV. Fubo TV gives you complete coverage of college and pro football with NFL Red Zone also included, plus games in 4K at no extra charge. If you want to be like me and get rid of cable, Fubo TV could be your solution. Over hundreds of channels of live sports and entertainment for only a fraction of the cost of cable. Watch on all your devices. With a cloud-based DVR, up to a thousand hours of cloud-based DVR included in this. There's no contract, no commitment. You can cancel at any time. And right now, Fubo TV is giving you free Fubo for seven days and get a 15% off your first month if you go to FuboTV.com slash SEC. That's F-U-B-O-T-V dot com slash S-E-C. You can try it for free for seven days and get 15% off your first month. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. All with this show, little deep dive here. We got coach comments for all these big matchups in the SEC. We got coach comments from the three big SEC games this weekend, Missouri and Auburn included, not forgetting them this time around. But let's start on Rocky Top, where I, you know, kind of like I hinted at it there with Trey. I mean, this really does feel like a new era of Tennessee football. I know the stats 16 of 17, what is it they've lost? 15 out of the last 16, whatever. Tennessee cannot compete with the Florida Gators historically. But again, this just feels like a new era, a lot of momentum, and it's. I get the sense that the only way Tennessee blows this game is if they make it bigger than it is, they get tight and come out here, and Florida 
which is a capable team. They haven't played like it the last couple weeks. They are certainly capable of it. They have got to ensure that they do not allow Tennessee to start fast. And that's one of the keys to the game. Obviously, Tennessee led the country last season in first quarter points. They outscored their opponents by 139 points, averaged over 14.7 points per game in the first quarter last season. But here's something to keep in the back of your mind here if you're a Florida fan. Hendon Hooker, early in games, he's been struggling a little bit. Ball State, the opener, 4 of 8. Hendon Hooker started with pit game, 2 of 8. Hendon Hooker started. And then last week against Akron, even 4 and 8 once again. Now he got red hot after those. But, hey, this is baby steps. When you're double-digit underdog on the road, you got to hope that trend continues. Rattle Hendon Hooker, get him off schedule early. Maybe you can continue that into the second quarter. Now, the real issue is Florida in the third quarter. They're averaging around 50 yards of total offense. They can do no right in the third quarter. That is going to be massive in this ball game. Halftime adjustments, who makes the corrections, who doesn't. Again, Billy Napier, 18-3 and three in one-score game. So there's a lot of different ways to break down this game, but Let's start with Josh Heupel on the psychology of playing this game. Clearly, Josh Heupel didn't know much about this rivalry before coming to Rocky Top, but he made it damn clear that right out the gate, they let him know how important this game is. And it doesn't seem like he's making this game out to be too big. Played in these big-time games, not in a lot of these coaches can say that. I think it translates to his team. So let's kick it over to Josh Heupel on... The big question right now on Rocky Top, how will your team handle expectations in this big game? Can you finally get over the hump? Is there a hump to even get over within this program that, in reality, they're just 0-1 about against Florida Lifetime, and that was even a different coaching staff there in Gainesville. Josh, when you were at Oklahoma, obviously you were very well aware that Texas and Oklahoma State were a little bit different than all the others. After you took this job, how long did it take for somebody said to you, Florida's a little different. Uh, probably, you know, 30 seconds after I arrived here on, on campus. You know, uh, this is one of the, the ball games that this fan base and, and our players point to, too. And, and uh, obviously, being a fan of college football, you know, I've seen the great games and, and the rivalry itself play out. And um, that's why you come here. You want to be a part of, of these types of games. You want to have an opportunity to, you know, have college game day on your campus and be the primetime slot and have a sold-out stadium, you know. And, and uh, we're excited to see uh, the fan base. And, and uh, Vol Walk, I know, will be electric. And, and when we run out that tee, there won't be a better atmosphere in college football. Coach, I know you're not going to offer up injury updates today on those guys. But with veteran – Where's Wes at? Where's Wes? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Was he supposed to ask that question? I, I, he already put my comments out there, so <laughs> he, he had direct quotes. Um, I'm joking. We, we, now, he's saying all the right things, and I think the most important thing, I just added that little clip at the end, because these Tennessee coaches, I don't care what they say, they get tight during this ball game. Certainly, Pruitt, Butch, Dooley. I mean, it was the beginning for the end when they couldn't beat these teams. Well, maybe it's... Butch struggles against Vanderbilt was really the beginning of the end for him. But I love the fact that Heupel is uh, – his personality in these press conferences is just a, just a notch higher than Billy Napier. But even he's cracking jokes. I think that speaks to how confident and calm he is heading into this ballgame. It's 
going to be a defining game for his program, no doubt. I mean, that when you look at it from that aspect, this game means everything. College game day. Everything that goes with that. The nation's eyes, CBS, SEC, checkerboard, kneeling. I mean, this the whole country is going to have their eyes on this game. And they are ready, no doubt, they are ready to pounce on Tennessee if they fall short once again in one of these prime matchups against a ranked opponent, Florida Gators. What voodoo could go wrong? Josh Heupel ain't buying none of that bullshit. Let's kick it over to him on, on what this game means for the program. Coach, I don't, I don't know if you can answer that, but kind of piggy this, but piggybacking on, on that a little bit, sold-out stadium, primetime, game day is going to be here. You're ranked on the cusp of the top ten. Did you have a timeline for when you thought <laughs> – this program could get to, to where no, it's going to be on Saturday? Of, I think that's one of the things that our, our players um, that help create buy-in with our players is that we've never set a ceiling on what we could or could not do. Um, uh, last year, this was a, a ball game that helped in the turning point uh, inside of our program. Obviously, we didn't come out on top. There's a lot of things that we didn't do right, but resetting afterwards that Monday where we came back in and we're just able to show how everything unfolded and the things that we controlled, I think created a ton of buy-in too. Um, you know, at the end of the day, this is, you know, the fourth game of, of this journey this year. Um, it's a big one because this is the only one we got this week. Um, our kids will be ready and our staff will too. Now on the other side of the coin, Billy Napier. Man, it's been a, a rough showing the last couple of weeks. But if you look at it this way, if you're a Florida fan, if I were to tell you preseason, you could be 2-1 and one heading into this Tennessee game, you take it. And, you know, what would the line have been after the Utah game? Maybe Tennessee favored by three points at home. Now I know it's double digits, but perception changed quickly. And the point of that is it can flip just as quickly here, especially if Florida – gets production out of the out of Anthony Richardson he's able to complete some passes that he's not been hitting and you know just listening to some of the buzz out of Gainesville I think they've certainly been holding Anthony Richardson back for fear of getting him hurt because they got literally nothing behind him they got Jack Miller the Ohio State transfer he's hurt so they have and even Jack Miller's got very little experience but they have no players of any experience behind Anthony Richardson. So maybe in these games like South Florida, they're kind of protecting him. This is a game where they got to unleash Anthony Richardson. I think you're going to see a lot more of him on the ground. And I don't have full confidence that Tennessee has got players that can spy one-on-one with Anthony Richardson. So it's going to be interesting to see how the Vols try to defend Anthony Richardson, keep him in the pocket at all costs. That's what South Florida's been doing, that's what Kentucky did, and it worked like a charm. But, hey, Billy Napier's a good coach. He will adjust to what Tennessee's got coming for him on Saturday. Getting more out of Anthony Richardson, that's the biggest question there in Gainesville. Can they get that done with Anthony Richardson playing the way he is? That's something Billy Napier hit on here. And he points out, hell, even my wife can see that the passing game's not working like it should. Here in Gainesville. Second half. Billy, what's your assessment of the passing game for you all? Zero passing touchdowns through three games is kind of a surprising statistic. Yeah, no, we've been able to run it. Um, run it in there. Haven't got into many of those four-point plays where we've had to throw it. But um, I think that we need to improve uh, in the throw game. And that's one of the points of emphasis uh, with the offensive players yesterday is precision in the throw game. 
right? And I think settling into uh, some lineups, obviously um, figuring out what we do well, what can we do well, what's the quarterback comfortable with, all those things come, go into that. So, um, you know, when I say that, I'm talking about protection. I'm talking about uh, detail and, and the steps, the depths of the routes, the aiming points, and then the quarterback uh, progression and decision-making, right? So all 11 players contribute, um, and I think we need to be more precise and more detailed in that part of our football team. Precision, just kind of a new staff thing, different system. Yeah, new first year in a in a new system, uh, and and then certainly a first year quarterback in a new system too. You know, to go along with um, skilled players that are playing in a new system, right? I think we have protected a quarterback well to some degree. Uh, there have been a few handful of plays where we maybe can do it better, but you know, we we have we haven't been sacked. Uh, and Anthony's done a nice job making some plays with his legs uh, when it has broken down. So it's an area of our team where we need to improve. There's no question about that. You can tell that. The average fan can tell that. My wife can, you know, she's, she's informed me of that. So um, we need to get better. Now that aside, it'd be one thing if Florida was humming after three straight games at home. You got that crowd behind you. I mean, we could play the what-if game all day long, but Florida – likely doesn't beat Utah if that game's not in the swamp. They're not going to have that advantage, obviously, Saturday in Neyland Stadium, a place that, you know, if the fans get amped up enough, it can be one of the toughest places in the country to play. And make no mistake, it's going to be that way on Saturday. Those fans are going to be liquored up and feeling good and just rowdy as hell. The checkerboard Neyland, CBS, game day, all that's going to add to that anticipation and if Tennessee gets off to a hot start they may not slow down at all in this ball game so that's another thing Napier talks about handling the tough road environment handling the pace of play you know they have they're going to try to control it with their offense they can dictate how Tennessee plays by their offense and, and clearly what he's talking about chewing up the clock time of possession Florida they may not be doing many things right but running the ball is the strength of this team right now. They're going to have success against Tennessee doing it. It just depends on how much. That's going to dictate the outcome of this game. But let's kick it over one more time to Billy Napier on what the Gators are going to be facing here on a rowdy, rocky top on Saturday. What's the challenge? They like to run a play every 18 seconds. How do you slow them down offensively when you're on defense? But secondly, does this make you – get more deliberate with your own offense to kind of keep them off the field? Yeah, I think there'll be some strategy when it comes to that, you know, in terms of co controlling the tempo of the game. And I do think that how you play offensively can ultimately influence how they play offense, right? Uh, but, you know, I think you're about right there. It's about every 20 and a half seconds or so they're running a play. Uh, I know they want to do it in 18, so – you know, that's part of their philosophy. There's some things that go with that. I think the key is P and 10 is a big down when you play these teams. Um, and certainly, you know, you got to try to knock them out of their rhythm, right? There can become a problem for you when it turns into five, six, seven, eight play drives, right? So it's a momentum system, right? And I think that you got to do everything you can do to slow down that momentum, right? That starts with playing well on first down. What is it playing in a hostile environment? 
Yeah, no, I, I think uh, the, vet the veteran players on our team, I think, will be comfortable with that. You know, I'm just having conversations yesterday with some of the guys that have played here, obviously have played here in the past um, in those times in Alabama. So I think we, we understand what comes with that. We do a ton of work. Um, training camp in particular, we do a number of things with crowd noise, right? So we uh, get out in front of that, you know, anticipate that, knowing that that's coming. And it's not going away, right? I mean, we're going to have to deal with it the rest of the way. Uh, and realize it's the same game, you know. It's not like we're going to Canada and they're going to change the rules, you know. It's going to be the same game. It's going to be a little louder and, and uh, playing on a, at a different location. Now, next matchup to preview here, Arkansas A&M. Interesting thing came across my timeline here. I want to give a shout-out to one of the best in the business. I've never had him on the show. I need to get him on. But if you're not following, Stats O War on Twitter already. His real name's Parker Fleming. Works for uh, USA Bets. But he does analytical models. And the first time I really stumbled across his work was last December. And his model had Alabama beating Georgia in the SEC championship game. Now, hindsight, you may be saying, well, that, what the hell? That was not that big of a surprise. That was a massive upset at the time. Everybody was picking Georgia for the most part. And his model, again, no models correct all the time, but predicted it in that game. That really you know, got me paying attention to his work. And I'll throw up the graphic here on YouTube if you're, if you're watching on there. But his model has got Texas A&M 52.99% chance. So really, I mean, this is a coin flip type game, but this is kind of what Vegas is saying too, with A&M being a slight favorite in this ball game over Arkansas. I reached out to Parker, asked him, are you surprised by that? He said he was. Again, this is not his opinion. This is his computer model telling him that. And he says the biggest issue, Texas A&M has not shown that they can exploit Arkansas's weakness, which is the pass defense. Arkansas dead last in defending the pass in the country, not just the SEC, the country, but they lead it in sacks. So that's something Stephen hit on on the last episode. A&M has obviously struggled on offense. They've The only thing they can do is run the ball, and they can't even do that too effectively, so they made the change at quarterback. Max Johnson, a little bit of an upgrade, at least so far what we've seen him play. But, hell, all that don't matter if he's getting sacked and he's getting hit and Arkansas's just coming after him. Arkansas dealing with, you know, players in and out of the lineup in the secondary. It's a little bit of a mash unit. They're still trying to figure out should they go to the drop eight like they did last season and had success with that. Mixed success, I'd say, to be fair. Now they they tried to go more man-to-man -man this season and clearly after losing some key players, having some issues with it. So, that is something Sam Pittman addressed with the media here heading into this A&M game and just the fact that they can live with getting beaten by outstanding production from quarterbacks and receivers. But just the way they're getting beat, everyone in the building down there knows there's the issue is. Now the question is, can they fix it in time for this Texas A&M game? Let's kick it over to Sam Pittman. Just in the, in the secondary with the coverage issues, is there yeah. something that you can – do to, to fix that well, I think the first thing is you have to make sure you have the right people in the right spots. You know, I'm talking about pre-snap, not not where they're aligned. I'm saying, do we have our best players on the field? Uh, I think you have to 
figure that out first. And we're, we're, we've been adjusting. Part of it was because of the couple of injuries, but part of it is we, you know, we had some new guys back there as well. So uh, I don't, we're going to experiment a little bit this week and see if we can't get the right people in the right spots. I think Slusher, he's going to practice today. So he'll, he'll, he'll be back and that should help us uh, as well. Um, but you know, I think Malik Chavis is a guy we need on the field. And when he's not playing corner, we need him at safety. And I'm not for sure if we don't need him at safety and, and just put HUD at corner. I think those are questions that we have that we need to make. We, we got to get our best five guys out there on the field at all times. Obviously, we know they get hurt, but those are things that we've we've talked about as a staff. We've got to figure that out a little bit better. For game, hmm. flip side of that, maybe committing more guys. You're leading the country in passing yards allowed. Can you can you live with that, or what, what's your take on it? Well, we have to get better um, at both of them, really. But obviously, there's a little bit more urgency of of uh, covering people. Uh, you know, we can live with guys getting good throws and we can't live with guys wide open, you know, and, you know, if somebody's going to beat us, they need to beat us with us attempting to cover the guy, you know, and, and, uh, we've had obviously too many mistakes there and, and, uh, backs coming out of the backfield, things of that nature where we're in man coverage and we've got to peel a linebacker out there and things of that nature. And, um, I, I will say this, we're doing uh, exactly what we think is best for us to win. Uh, there have been conversations about, you know, going back and running what we ran last year, you know, double cloud, about 90% of the snaps. And it worked some games and it didn't some games. So I think I think we'll get a mixture of that going forward. but. Um, we've got to fix that problem, and everybody in the building's aware of it. And how we do that is going to be a combination of who's on the field and and uh, the opponent, whether we feel like we can cover them man to man or not. And if we can't cover them in zone coverage, then we definitely have to put pressure on the quarterback because that's something that we're good at. But um, to do that, you have to be able to play some man, even though we went into some quarters, halves coverage, and Russ Drew Sanders last week in the second half seemed to work out a little bit better for us. And Pittman also revealed Dwight McLaughlin banged up against Missouri State was a hamstring. And hamstrings can be tricky. McLaughlin's been their best corner. Really going to need him, Texas A&M. Again, I know they've not been showing it, but they've got some dynamic freshmen receivers here that will be back Jibbo announced this week Evan Stewart Chris Marshall the guys suspended for the Miami game as well as Denver Harris and Smoke Bowie four of the top freshmen in all of the country will be back suiting up for them Aggies against the Arkansas Razorbacks and again this last week was save the season this game this week for the Aggies is an opportunity to steer it right back in the direction it needs to go in hell they've not lost a conference game i know they have arguably the most embarrassing loss of the season but not cause for burying the aggies they all their hopes are still in front of them uh i know it's on it seems unrealistic that they could still make the college football playoff but if you win the west you win the sec hell 
You'll be going to that college football playoff, and it's got to start Saturday in Arlington. Uh, let's kick it over to Jimbo. Was asked to share his thoughts on if A&M can even take advantage of Arkansas's issues in the secondary. Jimbo, you kind of mentioned this, but Devon had his first 100-yard total scrimmage mm-hmm. game. When you see a player like that who adds so much element to the game, especially when it comes to passing and when it comes to running, mm-hmm. how does that expand the offense? Well, it does because it, you're mismatches. You're trying to find mismatches, whether you're getting him out of the backfield, whether you're swinging him, whether you line him up outside, whether you hand it to him, or how do you get him to the edge or inside. And you know, you got to give him touches. You know, some of the, and he's like the great backs I've been able to have in my past that, that you know, guys that you got to let them touch it. When they touch it, great things happen, and we got to do the things in front of them well. And in this game, we did a much better job. Our line moving people were up front when we displaced guys and created seams and then allowed him to go, and he caught some nice balls out of the backfield. Max got him the ball a couple times critical, and almost one other time. Their guy got him one-on-one and caught him out there one time where he had a ball down the sideline. But, uh, you know, he can catch the ball, and he's very diverse, and, you know, he does a great job. Arkansas had some trouble in pass defense. What do you all have to do to be able to – Maybe take advantage of that. Execute. <laughs> I'm not being. I'm not being. I mean, but seriously, get get good protection. Run the routes the way they're supposed to run and making throws. And and I know this sounds crazy. We're a lot closer than, than it seems in some things. We're we're, we're getting it, and it's it's got to keep progressing. It's got to keep progressing. And um, but we got to be balanced. They do a good job up front of rushing and blitzing, and you have to have balance against them. They do they do a really good job on defense. Now, one final thing before we move on from this, I just thought uh, A&M and Arkansas fans would appreciate it. But both these coaches share their thoughts on playing the game in Arlington, the you know home-and-home. Home, most fans want to see it home-and-home, home, at least return to that. It certainly looks like that's where things are trending, but uh, they're going to have to keep it here, I think, for two more seasons, I think. But uh, Jimbo and Sam Pittman, at least publicly, saying they got no problem with playing in Arlington, while uh, Jimbo <laughs> – I love Jimbo's comments here. Hey, Sam, I think I have this right. You coached in the Red River game when you were at OU, and then you coached in the, the cocktail party when you were at Georgia. Is there a uniqueness to preparing for one of these neutral site games? It's electric. You know, those games are electric. Now, we didn't win. The, thanks for reminding me about the Red River. We, I'm 0-2. Uh, we didn't do so hot when I was at Oklahoma back in 96 and 97, 98. Um but there's a there's it's neat, you know you you don't normally walk into a stadium and it's even Stephen fans. Hotels are have same you know same similar number of occupants from diff- both teams. It's really cool, you know. Um, being in Mr. Jones Stadium is really neat and you know I didn't take the team in there last year which I'm not this year either on a Friday but I said oh it's just a stadium and about you know I'd been there in 13 14 15 and I walked in there I go holy cow I mean that thing is huge and nice and I go well maybe I should have brought them in but we got off to a fast start so um, but yeah there's really something neat about that it really is where both fans meet in a town and the Georgia, Georgia, Florida game was, and still is, obviously a, a great, great uh, feeling for the fans and for the players. Jim, I'm not sure if I asked you this last year, but with the way that the Southwest Classic is played in Arlington, do you like that the matchups there, or do you want because of how much goes into this rivalry for it to be a home be home match? You know, I love the home and home. I mean, hate not saying here, but at the same time, I don't mind playing it. I really don't. 
I think it's good for our guys to get a neutral site game. It's something different. A lot of them in this state dream of playing in that stadium. You know what I'm saying? Because a lot of them want to play state championship games and have played state championship games there. I mean, this year, I wish it was here. Next year, I wish it was in Arlington. <laughs> if we can get that arranged, I'm all for it. You know what I mean? I'm all for it. But, I mean, you know, there, there's – you hate to give up a home game. You hate to go on the road. But at the same time, those are – they're neat things. I mean, they're kind of – you know, it's just like, I guess, Florida, Georgia and Jacksonville. You know what I'm saying? They're, they're trying to do that. I mean, there's still – I'm nostalgic. I'm sitting as historic as some of those are. But it is history and some good things. But I guess we're breaking it up anyway. So, I mean, I'm happy to play where we're at. And we'll play when we got a good Arkansas. We'll go to Arkansas. All right, but as promised, Missouri on the road at Auburn. Big matchup for both these programs, crossroad games. Missouri, probably not going to go bowl game if you don't win this one. And the same could be said for Auburn, but not even that may do it, given who you got behind you on the schedule. Certainly the biggest game of the season for both these programs up to this point, and neither one of these teams has been able to, to pass the ball very efficiently Missouri 11 in the SEC in passing efficiency. Auburn slightly worse at number 12. And things got a lot tougher because T.J. Finley reportedly out for this game with that shoulder injury that uh, was first reported by Tom Green of AL.com. And it's interesting because T.J. Finley, if anyone saw it, he's out here tweeting. Someone shared this stat. Auburn quarterbacks were pressured 61% of their dropbacks versus Penn State. That's the fourth Highest pressure rate allowed by an SEC team over the last five seasons. So, DJ throwing his damn O-line under the bus may be an accurate stat, but you hate to see a quarterback throwing that out there on social media. You got to back your the guys that are keeping you alive there, even though they're doing a very poor job doing it. But, you know, the, the one key for this matchup, because there's a lot wrong with both these programs, but uh, Missouri's defense has actually been a very – pleasant surprise and now that uh you know not that tj finley's that much of a world beater or anything robbie ashford very inconsistent particularly as a passer but an elite runner it should be a lot easier to defend this auburn offense if you're missouri unless of course auburn goes to the bullpen and pulls out zach calzada for the first time this season which if things go poorly that be forced to go to zach calzada i would imagine but he's not taking a snap this season so how ready is he to step on the field against an SEC defense that uh, is playing their best football here in two or three seasons? I mean, that, that's got to be a major, major red flag for the Auburn Tigers, given the fact that Missouri's offensive line is struggling. And Brady Cook, I know he had a big game last week. He's kind of been struggling overall. I mean, bet the under while you have the opportunity in this Missouri-Auburn matchup. I had forgotten all about uh, the relationship drink and Harson Havoc, they go way back. So let's kick it over to Eli, talks about that relationship and evaluating the performance of their offensive line, which is uh, arguably the worst in the SEC. At least that's what they've shown the first couple games of the season. Yeah, and uh, at the end of the 2012 season, Coach Mal, uh, Malzahn had been hired at Auburn um, and at that point was uh, had been offered a position as uh, – you know, really an off-the-field guy uh, in, in operations at, at Auburn and uh, interviewed for a position on the field at, at uh, Arkansas State with newly hired Brian Harson. Didn't know Coach Harson, never met him, had no connection to him. Um, interviewed for the job, and, and uh, 
he uh, he kept me on, gave me a chance as the the running backs coach, co-offensive coordinator, and and um, so that's kind of how that worked out. You know, I think that when you, your first press conference, somebody asked about your offense, and you said it was kind of a mix of what you learned from from Gus yeah. and from Brian. Yeah. What specifically? I mean, what did you learn from him about offensive football, and how much of your next few years was was that a part of what you did? Yeah, I mean, I think there's all kinds of things when you watch and see how um, you know obviously I learned the Boise State offensive philosophy and model and then uh, our task in 2013 was to take uh, the Boise State and add tempo and, and being able to play in kind of a no huddle open style uh, which is what uh, Coach Malzahn had had uh, uh, had learned from him and so that's really what I'd learned and then obviously now through the course of however many different coaches have come in and out and worked with me we've developed our pro tempo style but uh, when you really dig it down to the core there's going to be some of the, the same things that we all believe in you know downhill runs um, controlled pass game vertical throws off play action and then we all love tricks and specials I know obviously you mentioned on Saturday having to kind of go back maybe this week and, and evaluate the offensive line yeah What's that process look like this weekend and where are you at? Yeah, I mean, um, we're, we're, we evaluate everybody uh, each game. And, you know, that position, the, the inconsistency, I think the biggest challenge for us has been the penalties. Um, you know, we've had 13 offensive line penalties in the first three games. Um, and that's not any one person's fault, but it's a, an alarming trend that needs to be fixed. And so it's about creating competition today and tomorrow and seeing who has the best week of practice. And whoever does will, will run out there on Saturday. Um, and, and that's, that's really it's – no, it's no deeper or, or more challenging than that. It's, we can't have penalties. We, we cannot have negative yardage plays on first down when we're running the football. And uh, who, who's going to take that off the tape? Does the quality of that front seven sort of add urgency to – Figuring out some of the line issues. No, we got to figure out our offensive line issues because we got to figure out ourselves first. It's about us. Uh, we're going to play good opponents every week. It ain't it. Holding penalties don't have anything to do with your opponent. It has to do with having hands inside, being conscientious of not grabbing. False starts have nothing to do with going against a good defensive line. Uh, it has everything to do with understanding and having discipline and choosing to get off when you hear the snap count. Um, so. There's urgency because we have to get it fixed, um, but that's that's the reason. Now on the other side, man, <laughs> you know Brian Harson. Credit to him, he really tried to do a 180 with the media, trying to be more friendly, trying to be more open. He's doing the podcast. I don't think he's doing the podcast anymore, but you know they've clearly turned on him. Everyone's running. Yeah, you know who should be the next Auburn coach. The buyout figures, all that, they're going on and on. I mean, he's dead man walking, according to everybody down there. And that, that may be accurate, but you can tell that old Harson is taking issues with just about everything down there, like he did last season. And he had a thorny relationship with the media, and that is back. And whether that plays a factor into this matchup or not, I don't know, but and maybe it's just gamesmanship, but he says here, you know, T.J. Finley, he's fine, he's good to go. Then a day later, T.J. Finley out with an injury. So surely he's aware of his quarterback's health and everything that's going on in that. So 
being dishonest, but again, maybe that's just a bit of gamesmanship. But he was asked about the mentality of his team. He took real issue with that. He discussed how his team has responded. And is he's being truthful? I don't know. Hell, he doesn't seem like he was being truthful about old TJ Finley. And he gets kind of combative here when asked if Zach Calzada will play. And this was before TJ Finley reportedly out for the game. So I don't know. If if this is Auburn's leader, it, it seems like uh, the ship is is taking significant water, so to speak. No score dictated a lot of the second half, but the first half still threw it, I mean, twice as much as ran it. Is, is it important to, to kind of give more credence to that run game and try to establish that early in the game especially? Yeah, I mean, we want to run the football, but, you know, every game is different. You know, you guys don't sit in the, in the meetings and all that and, and look at the game plan and what they're trying to do too. I mean, there's really – very little understanding of what their defense was trying to get done as well. So that dictates the, the game. All right, we can run into nine, ten guys sometimes if we need to. But, um, you know, our coaches, that's why, that's why we put together game plans. And, um, you know, you, you have your openers, you have your plays that you want to hit in the first half. And that's exactly what, you know, we tried to do. And if we execute some of those plays, it's going to look a lot different at the end of the day. Who assessed the mental issues on the team? Shane. All right, but that was a question he was asked. He was asked about some of the, men- the mental lapses throughout the game, just the errors throughout the game. And he- yeah, so it's not a mental. It's you're you're asking. It's did we make a mistake on the play? All right, it's not necessarily the mentality of the team. Is what you're asking, right? So yeah, I mean there was there was mess ups, all right. There were things that we didn't do correctly. Um, that's the execution piece. That's the part, you know, that you talk about where I talk about where execution is the key, right? If you got to be in a gap, you're in a gap. If you have to cover a man, you cover a man. If you have to run the right route, you run you run the right route. I mean that's that's not really anything to do with the mentality. That's, that's simply executing the job you're supposed to do. There's 11 guys and they all have an assignment. And I think that we're not assignment sound. That's an issue. Um, you know, mentally, you know, it's really nothing to do with rah, rah and, and things like that. I mean, all that stuff is, is there, the urgency, the energy, things like that. I mean, that happens in practice. That's all there. Um, you know, and speeches and all that stuff. That's not going to change the fact if a guy runs the wrong route. It's not going to change the fact that the guy's in the wrong gap. I mean, it's pretty matter of fact, and that's what I shared with the team. Football is pretty matter of fact. You got 11 guys out there. You got assignments. You got to do your job. And and when you don't do that, and somebody exposes you on that, then things happen. All right, and you wonder why um, a big play, or they rip off a big run, or we don't have somebody in the flat when a quarterback's rolling out. You know, I mean, that wasn't designed that way. And so, if we execute what's designed, we have a better shot of, of executing our plays. All right, and they're going to work better. At least we give ourselves a chance. So to me, that's really what it is. It's about execution. It's not so much about mentality and, um, and all those things that, that create the drama. It's really just matter of fact. Run the route, be in the gap, do your job. Um, that's really what it comes down to, and that's the message that I've tried to send to our players and keep it very simple from that standpoint because we want to make it bigger than what it really is. If we do it all right, there's emotion that comes with that when you're executing what you're supposed to do. Then you get to play with that energy and emotion that, that makes you a good player. But you got to be able to do your part first. Brian. Yes, Look at Brian. that too. If we're doing it right and it's wrong, 
then we got to fix it as coaches. But I think the team has handled uh, each game, and even even after Penn State, you know that was disappointing. Everybody felt that they came out on Sunday, and I've said this. You know, players don't hang on to this stuff as long as we do. They got practice, they got individual, they got a condition, they got to get on to what's next. And I thought they did that. There was urgency. They were moving around. I mean, I think there was a a sense of like, you know what, that wasn't that wasn't good enough. And I think guys were pissed, and you could feel that. All right, I can handle that. I can I can handle somebody. We we make a mistake or we don't have a performance. If you come back and you want to work and you want to improve it and you don't want that to happen again and your your attitude shows that, I'm good with that. If it's it doesn't matter, I'm not good with that. I think guys I think guys really showed that in Sunday. Situations again. Coach, coming off a loss Saturday, and then when you look ahead to the SEC meet of the schedule, you guys coming up the next month, you categorize this Saturday night as a must win. I would categorize every Saturday as a must win. Yeah, I don't really have an answer for you there. Yes. All right. And anytime you ask me that from this point on, yes. All right, it's a must win. I mean, that's that's why we do what we do, right? I, I don't think there's a game I've ever told anybody like, hey, guys, we lose this one, we'll be all right. We'll get on the next one. All right. I'm, and I'm, I'm being serious. I know what you're asking. All right. But, yeah, I mean, every single game, that's that's what you do. And... It's things like that. I mean, that's the stuff. Like, for me, I know what the answer is. And, and what's hard is sometimes the guys that sit in this room, they hear that stuff too. All right? It's always that way. I mean, that should be the mindset. Is there a possibility of Calzada or opponent getting somebody Yeah, we'll see. Like I said, we'll, we'll let guys compete this week. Um, um, it's Monday. You know, we haven't decided that. What we're going to do um, through the week of practice, that'll be decided. But we'll let guys compete. And we'll put the best guys out there on Saturday to, to go play. So, so for clarification, you're saying you technically don't have a starting name for a quarterback? For clarification, what I just told you is what I'm saying. I don't mean I understand. That's, yeah, I answered it. Okay. So if you're a Missouri fan, you're an Auburn fan, you listen to those two coaches, I mean, which one sounds more calm, collective, and locked into the plan there? I mean, I think it goes without saying. Bet the under... <laughs> Maybe they even lean towards Missouri to get this win in what would be a what the biggest win of the season to date. Obviously, the first conference game for Missouri, first conference game for Auburn. This is going to be quite the scene down here on the Plains this Saturday. Cannot wait for it. But hey, that's going to do it for this episode of the show. We have got a ton of content coming your way. Overall SEC schedule, maybe a little weak, but we've got some huge, huge games coming down the pike this weekend. Cannot wait. Stay with us here. We're going to keep giving you the content, and Cousin Shane will be back before you know it. But that is going to do it for this episode of the show. We'll catch you on the next one.